Welcome back, everybody. This is a very special edition of the WILX Sports Blitz podcast. I am joined with the voice of the Lugnuts. Jesse, it has been great talking with you and touching base. And it is almost opening day. First pitch is uh, hours away, a little little more than 24 hours as of time of this recording. How are you doing? John, I'm feeling good. Butterflies. 611 days between Lansing Lugnuts games. So I still know that three strikes make an out, four balls make a walk, but it's going to be interesting to see getting back into the whole rhythm of that every single day, a game and nine innings each night. It's very exciting. Yeah. And it has been a while for everybody to really have a chance to sink their teeth into the Sports, live sports, being able to attend it, especially professionally. Uh, things are just starting to open up in Michigan. The Lugnuts, I talked uh, last week with Zach, the assistant general manager for the Lance and Lugnuts, on how the organization has been working and preparing and adjusting for the upcoming season. And I'd imagine there's a few adjustments for you. Uh, let's dive right into that. What are you having to work around with? I know you've been staying busy. It's not just been 600 days staying at home, enjoying the couch, and uh, maybe, uh, you know, Sunday ticket and just uh, maybe the Netflix's Michael Jordan's documentary. Uh, you've, you've been busy too. So I'd imagine there's been some changes from at least a broadcast perspective of how you handled doing play by play during a pandemic. There are so many changes. There's a new stadium name, Jackson Field. There's a new parent club, the Oakland Athletics. There's a new level that we're playing at moving up to high A, now in the high A central. There's the media relations, trying to line up interviews with the players and the coaching staff with me and with members of the local media when I cannot communicate with them personally, when I cannot walk into the clubhouse and say, hey, I need to set up an interview. No, it's all text, email, just trying to coordinate things. And then for the first month of the year at the least, and we'll see moving forward, I'm not allowed to go on the road to broadcast road games. So I'll be calling road games while at home. There are challenges in the way, but I'm just glad to have baseball back. So I'm ready to meet those challenges. And one of the big changes here, new um, affiliate for the Lugnuts. The Lugnuts, they've not gone anywhere. They're coming back. But the organization, the players they're getting, it's going to be a little bit different. I love the question that I got when people found out that we went from the Toronto Blue Jays as our Major League Baseball partner to the Oakland Athletics. Does that change the Lugnuts colors? Does that change our logo? Does that change our uniform? No, still same uniform, still same logo, still Luggy, still Big Lug, the mascot cavorting about. But the players and the coaches, they change. The culture of the team will change. The prospects, everybody for us to get to know changes. And thus far, the Oakland Athletics have made such a good impression. The players and the coaches have been terrific to deal with. Just in reading about the backgrounds of the guys has me pumped to watch them play this year. And it's a little interesting, too, because you're going from a West Coast, well, you're going to a West Coast organization from someone who's a little more than a stone's throw away. Is there any interesting wrinkles that pop up when you're going from uh, Midwest or, or maybe cold and snow to players who where they're coming to a place where it might be a little bit cooler this time of year, though? They're coming in May, not March, when there's snow and ice, when sometimes minor league baseball has normally started. So uh, have you noticed any uh, culture transitions or uh, fun wrinkles with that dynamic? Well, I could tell you in corresponding with the Oakland Athletic staff, the director of minor league operations, for example, or their media relations, they've reminded me, 
we're living on Pacific Coast time. So if we get to this a little bit late, you'll understand we're still asleep. So understanding the three hours back for California, two hours back for their spring training facility in Arizona. But you're right, the difference in the season starting in May compared to the season starting in April. The Toronto Blue Jays, we think about Toronto, Ontario, the Great White North, it's cold, but all of those players and coaches were flying in from Florida. So it was a huge climate shock when they arrived here. And we know how Michigan is in April. We'll have a day where it's up in the 70s, 80s. And then a couple of days later, we'll have snow flurries. We thankfully don't have that as much in May, although we do have rain. But we're going from here. Yeah, and uh, everything I've seen from our News 10 weather team, it should be down to 20%. I, I think should be cleared up just in time for first pitch so that means you just get a very nice green field and maybe hey it's 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 a little bit of a, a slippery surface but it considering it's the first game in so long i that just adds to the character of the game and the fun that's happening well, let me tell you our head groundskeeper paul kuna is really really good so this surface is ready for baseball the grass is green the infield dirt is ideal when the tarp is pulled, when the field is prepared, this might be one of the best fields that our players have ever played on. Well, there's been uh, some time to have things set up and change. What have you noticed with the field? Is there anything new additions for this year or any renovations or changes that have happened since fans have last been in the facility? I think that the changes are all going to be very much COVID related where fans come in, wear your mask at all times unless you're at your seat actively eating and drinking. So the gates, the fact that the stadium is entirely cashless. So you can order food right to your seat, which you weren't able to do before. You'll see a lot of seats that are tied off. We as a staff spent a lot of time tying up seats and that way those seats would be off limits. That way fans could be social distanced where they sat uh, around the seating bowl. Those are going to be the biggest changes that I think fans see. That combined with, we can't do anything on field. So no national anthem, no first pitch, no in-game relay race in between innings. That's going to be a shift in the way that you enjoy the game. But I think we all understand why. It's all for health reasons. And I think that the atmosphere of baseball will take over and bring that familiarity. Now, the biggest thing that's going to be back in the area are players from out of town when we're going to have both the teams from everywhere around the new league. So uh, can you break down what has changed for minor league baseball since fans were back here? The Midwest league, as we know it, is now in a new incarnation with many of the same teams, but a few changes as well. That's right. So there was a, a drastic reorganization of the minor leagues. The contract came up between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball was called the PBA, the Professional Baseball Agreement. And when that agreement came up, the new agreement that was negotiated saw Major League Baseball take over Minor League Baseball. Minor League Baseball had been an independent entity that had negotiated with MLB. Well, now as things currently stand, it is under the auspices of Major League Baseball, which meant that uh, when I say reorganization, there were a number of teams that were not extended invitations to return as affiliates. And that is why we are very glad, fortunate, happy that the Lugnuts were extended that invitation by the Oakland Athletics. Each major league team was told that you could only have four full season affiliates, AAA, AA, High A, Low A. 
all those short season teams. Short season A, advanced rookie ball, teams lost two three minor league affiliates, which put teams into a difficult bind trying to figure out who they could remain affiliated with. So as everything shaped up, a lot of players lost their jobs, a lot of coaches lost their jobs, minor league teams tried to figure out where they would go. And now here we are as the dust has settled. And as the dust settles, what was the low A Midwest League was promoted up to the high A Central. There were 16 teams in the Midwest League at the end of the 2019 season. There are 12 teams now in the High A Central. The four that left, the Kane County Cougars have gone independent. The Burlington Bees and the Clinton Lumber Kings are now prospect leagues. That is wooden bat league for college prospects. They're going to get scouted a lot. We might get guys from Clinton, from Burlington. And then the other team, the fourth team, the Bowling Green Hot Rods, they've been sent to a different high A league on the East Coast. So of the 16 teams, 12 teams remain. That includes us, and we are one of six teams in the high A Central East. Now, with that, there is also a reshuffling of players. When you're consolidating teams, you're going down to this set number. It uh, changes things up. Looking at the Lugnuts roster, there's an interesting combination of players with both Michigan ties, and then there are players with uh, unique draft positions or high draft positions, and there's a little bit of overlap in between. What are some names that people should watch out for, both that they might remember from watching college ball in the area or growing up, and then the players that really have some great potential that we might be seeing on uh, maybe down the road in some place like Triple uh, A to Toledo, if we're just talking more local Triple uh, A ball, or even you know under the bright lights somewhere at uh, in Oakland perhaps someday. Let's start with the Michiganders as we work our way to the major league prospects. And the fun thing is, we don't know who the major league prospects are. Any of these guys could put them in their names on the map. But we've got a basic idea who the scouts love. But our three Michiganders, we've got two natives of Portage, and we've got one native of Rockford. From Rockford, we've got Jack Weisenberger, who is a Michigan Wolverine, a pitcher. We also have an Eastern Michigan Eagle and Max Schumann, who came out of Portage. Max Schumann becomes the very first EMU Eagle to ever play for the Lugnuts. Weisenberger becomes the fourth Wolverine. The fifth Wolverine was his college teammate, Jeff Criswell. Jeff Criswell, also from Portage, was drafted in the second round by the Oakland Athletics in 2020. He might be the best pitching prospect in the athletics organization. He's going to start for us on Saturday. A lot of people are looking forward to what Jeff Criswell is going to do in the minor leagues. He is immediately our top pitching prospect. Our top catching prospect is a switch hitter by the name of Drew Millis, who when he was at Missouri State was considered the best defensive catcher in the country. Millis is a guy to watch out for. In the infield, we have a pure hitter in third baseman Jordan Diaz out of Colombia. He's the youngest player on the team. He is the only player on the team who is not of drinking age. He hits. He just hits. And then in the outfield, we've got a center fielder named Austin Beck, who was drafted sixth overall in 2017 out of high school in Georgia. Austin Beck came out of high school with these tools that he could throw the ball with a rocket of an arm and that he had the quickest bat speed anybody had ever seen. He was actually in the 2018 Midwest League All-Star Game, played here in Lansing when he was with Low A Beloit. Now he comes back to 
the league, but at the higher level with high A Lansing. So he knows this league. He knows the stadium from the All-Star game. And then there's another outfielder by the name of Michael Gouldberg. Michael Gouldberg was at Georgia Tech in 2020. He was drafted in the, 30, uh, in the third round, so the round after Jeff Criswell. When the college baseball season was halted due to the pandemic, he was the best hitter in the ACC. He was hitting, I believe, something like 450. He, just like Jordan Diaz, is a hitting machine. So yes, we've got top, top prospects for the A's. Now, then, the prospects, you've got quite the stacked roster as you've described it. How do then they stack up against the rest of the Central? I think that we are older. So, for example, I go through those guys. Diaz is the only one who's younger. The rest of our team, Austin Beck was drafted out of high school. He's the only high schooler on the team. Everybody else is a collegian or they were signed as an international free agent. And we have free agents signed like Diaz from Colombia. We have a player signed from the Dominican Republic, Rafael Kelly, a couple of players signed from Cuba. And we have a player who was signed from Japan. And oh, by the way, we have coaches from Venezuela and from South Africa. So we are an international team. But we're about to take on the Lake County captains. And the Lake County captain's entire infield is young. So 20-year-old, 20-year-old, 20-year-old. I think that they've got teenagers. And we've got, by and large, Diaz accepted, veterans. We've got mature guys. I think that that's going to be a difference for us. I tease our guys that our bullpen is filled with old men. That is, compared to the 20-year-olds, we've got guys who are grown. They understand. They have a plan. They have a routine. They know what the minor leagues is about. So I think that's going to differentiate us. But even as I say that in one breath, John there's a whole other segment of the team that's the exact opposite. We have nine players, Michael Goldberg, Jeff Criswell among them, who have never played in a minor league baseball game before. Joining the Lugnuts is going to be their professional debut. Drew Millis, Pat McCall, our first baseman, our other two catchers, Jared McDonald and William Simonite. And by the way, Simonite out of Cornell and then Wake Forest. Pat McCall out of Harvard. Jake Suttleson out of Harvard. And then we've got a pitcher, Michael Danielak, out of Dartmouth. We've got four Ivy Leaguers. But those guys who this is their first taste of the minor leagues, what an interesting combination to have veterans combined with guys getting their first taste. So that's something I really appreciate about this athletics team and, and getting put together. We've got defensive versatility. We've got uh, wisdom and maturity. We've got energy. We've got a group of guys who, from what I see, they're really going to compete. And I think we've got a chance to win more than we lose um, by maybe a significant margin. So something you mentioned there that uh, I, I've been thinking about too is everybody's routine. You've talked about the older players; they have a routine that they're 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 settling into to help get them set. Whether they're superstitious or not, or they just like the comfort factor, and they've got a prep, they've got a workout, they have something that gets them in rhythm for the season. Now, everybody's routine for the last eighteen months, and I, well, I say eighteen months, but it's, it's we're we're gonna hit that point, but a little over a year now. So what, fifteen months? has been thrown off and adjusted. There are going to be some new routines for these players as well. Uh, there's going to be some changes for your interaction with them as well. What have you been able to... I talked with Zach last week, and I know that these players are coming in. 
that they're trying to find, you know, places to stay, that they have a choice of where they can go. And then, but you put all these factors together. What have you been able to learn about how the team's trying to develop its chemistry early on? And then how will they be able to uh, do so through the season? Uh, just maybe just some interesting what they can do at the clubhouse, those protocols. There's so many unique wrinkles to what's going to be going on that impacts or adjusts a season and for their jobs professionally, just like you are in my jobs professionally have been adjusted as well. It's tough to develop chemistry because I think a key element of chemistry is trust. And in order to trust a teammate, they've got to earn that trust. Like you've got to earn that trust from them. So if the protocols say that you can't really be in the same spot, that a limited number of players need to be in the clubhouse together, that when you're out there on the field that you need to distance, if there's a rain delay that you need to distance, if you're back in your hotel room, if you're back in wherever you're staying, you cannot fraternize, you cannot meet in a common area. Yes, I do think that that is going to be a significant challenge to each of these guys is it's going to isolate them mentally. Um, how are they going to receive the support of their teammates, their coaches? How are they going to offer support to their teammates and their coaches? I think it's going to test them. And I think we're going to see the results of that test as the year goes along. We'll see if any of the protocols are eased up with the increasing vaccination rates. Although I would say the vast majority of all of this team got vaccinated back in Arizona. Um, it's just adhering to the Major League Baseball protocols and trying to figure out, yes, as you said, that key question of how do you turn a team into a real honest to goodness team? You know, individuals to a group of guys who will play for each other, fight for each other, grind for each other, and pick one another up when they get low. Because the season, everybody slumps, everybody gets tested. Uh, there are definite highs and lows, and you need people to take care of you during the course of that long summer. Now, for you, I mean, usually sometimes during a season, you can hang out around the bullpen, go into the locker room, get to know the guys, hang around with them, get to learn about them. This year, I'd imagine it's been a little bit of a different process. Luckily, the 21st century has some advantages when it comes to that. Uh, has it been primarily Zoom calls? Have you found other creative ways to, to get to know the players and the team and even the new coaching staff as well? I'm talking to people who know the players well. So, for example, I know a guy who is the broadcaster for one of our players in college. I'm emailing with the players. I'm texting with them. I'm direct messaging them via Twitter. It's not the same, though, because when you're actually there with somebody in person, I think there they're builds a, a, a stronger relationship between the two of you. And I'm somebody who I don't want to trust somebody right away. So if somebody immediately comes up to me and starts acting buddy-buddy, I'm going to be, if not suspicious, leery, a bit uneasy. I'm not going to immediately invest myself in the conversation. So I don't blame any of these players for not investing themselves in me. That's up to me to figure out how to build those relationships with the players that in the past I would do at the cage or in the bullpen that I can't do this year. But I've got to tell their story. I've got to line up their interviews when reporters come calling from Oakland or wherever. So there does need to be a bit of a relationship. But as it is, it can't be what it was. And I accept that. Now, what is the when other visiting teams are coming in? How are they going to experience uh, Jackson Field and the Lugnuts hospitality? Because they're 
that's another factor in all this too, is players have to maintain a certain amount of distance, but then it, there's also contact in the sport as well. There's all sorts of unique challenges and wrinkles within the game right now. I think we just need to get into the first week, two weeks, month of the year for everybody to understand, oh, I didn't think of this. What do we do if this happens? Um, what do we do with, let's say the coaching staff needs statistics because guys like to hang things up in the dugout. Well, we're trying to go paperless. So what do we do? Uh, same thing with regards to the players arriving at the stadium, the the players getting drilled on certain things, the coaches, there are traditions that, as you say, the routines that get built up over the course of season after season, that I do think once we thoroughly get into the mix, we'll start to understand alternative solutions. And I think that next year when things return to a quote unquote normal, there will be things that we have learned from this year that will stick around. Now, statistics, we're going paperless with statistics. That is it's going to take a while too, especially with all the adjustments to, to really see a full picture of what the season is and what will be like any team, how, how you start off hot. It, it's a longer season and it'll be a, a readjustment process as well. You mentioned that the, uh, the defense is something that you're looking at. You mentioned that there's a lot of hitting in the team. Are, what are some of the biggest highlights you think will be for the Lugnuts this year in terms of positional strengths? And then what are the opportunities that the players have to really, uh, chance to grow and work on and develop while they're here in mid-Michigan. The Lansing Lugnuts under the Toronto Blue Jays affiliation ran, 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 stole a lot of bases, stole more bases than major league teams. The Oakland Athletics farm teams by and large have not run and the athletics of the major league level have not run. I think that's going to change. There's a new rule instituted in the high A central this year that prohibits left-handed pitchers from throwing over to first base if they do not step off the rubber. Same thing with the inside move at second base for right-handed or left-handed pitchers. You've got to step off the rubber before you throw into second behind a runner. All of these rules are so that the runner can get a longer lead so that runners can be more aggressive. And in asking the players and the coaches about this lug nuts team, what they've said about the offense is, we don't have much power, but we can run. We're going to hit doubles and triples. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see a team that gets out there that is aggressive on the bases and grinds out the count, makes the other team's pitcher work. I think we're going to see a lot of base runners. That's something that really excites me because athletic teams in the past, in the minor leagues, there's been a problem with strikeouts. They've been big home run, big strikeout teams. And in looking over the Lugnuts numbers, I'm not sure I see that with a number of these players. I see players who foul off pitches. I see players who work walks. I see players who get base hits to all fields. That's one thing that I think is going to be a team's strength. Uh, something that I'm going to be interested to watch them develop. We have six games in a series, Tuesday through Sunday. We have 16 pitchers on the roster. I'm going to be interested to see how they use the arms because there are 120 games in this season after players did not pitch any games last year, unless you were in college. And even then what you pitched four games, but you did not have a minor league season. So none of these guys got work and pitchers arms are delicate. There's just this understanding that 
throwing a baseball is harmful to the human body in a repetitive motion. So I'm curious to see how they take care of these arms and measure these innings over the course of May through September, because we've got such talents on this pitching core. How do these guys develop from May through September? I think we're going to see guys in May start to get things going and take off in July and August. Now, the the adjustment, there's been adjustments to the schedule. It's uh, cleared things up under the off days. It's been consistent set schedule. The later start to the season, uh, you're not up here maybe in the press box or in the cold wind or <laughs> in the suites. There's been some adjustments there. So there's been also adjustments. If we're just talking about stylistic or changes, the encouragements for uh, more steals, more running, as opposed to kind of where some people have complained, uh, Tim Kirchin even, about how maybe modern MLB has gone very much uh, all or nothing with the, the home runs or the strikeouts. And personally, I, I am very curious to see how the new rule adjustments change and to really encourage baseball to be all-encompassing and all facets in offense. Because, yes, to me, I mean, who, who doesn't love a home run? But to, to, to have the, the mental uh, sportsmanship going back and forth of it, are you going to take the steal? How are you going to manage that? That That is something that I am greatly looking forward to. And when I'm going to be here for opening day and hopefully many days to come and as along that as well. Now, are there other highlights as the season develops or well, here, let me let me step back there. We talked about a lot of revisions and changes. You pointed out the difference in adjustments for uh, encouraging more steals and maybe a bit more running. Is there any other highlights or something that's jumped out at you as that's a really unique with this season. I think the series, I think playing each team six games in a row, having each starting pitcher basically have his own day like he's in college where you have a Friday starter, a Saturday starter. I think we're going to have a Tuesday starter or Wednesday starter. Those guys will just have those spots and we'll see if that changes over the course of the year. But that Lake County is coming to town Tuesday through Sunday and then Monday is a day off. And then we go on the road Tuesday through Sunday, and then Monday is a day off. That's highly unusual for our league. I love it. I think that there are going to be problems because if you're a competitive team, you start to have a problem with the other guys. And I see this develop each year where the lug nuts and other teams rub each other the wrong way the more that they play each other. And it's just out of competitive juices because you want to beat the other guys. So by the fifth, sixth game in a series, you might be tired of playing them. By the fifth, sixth game in the series, you might be tired of this umpiring crew. It's going to be interesting to see where emotions are at the end of the series, but it shortens up travel. It allows you a chance to see every single pitcher that they've got. It allows them to know you. And so when you play a team that much, it's the best way to find out who's legit. Because if you can continue to succeed when that other team knows you through and through, then you've got something. The best comparison I can think of right now is uh, the NBA has instituted something similar where to limit travel, they have had these home stands, these extended home stands. And it has brought out, I think, a lot of competitive play because like you talked about, you really get to know the team. And it is very hard to uh, sweep a team or even take extended amounts because you're going to be making all those adjustments. So yes, Absolutely. That, that, that is something I hadn't thought of uh, to that extent, but definitely will make it interesting too, especially the, uh, the other part I hadn't thought of there too, was the, the umpire staff. <laughs> Cause uh, uh, you're, you're, you, some players will probably be uh, getting tired of 
uh, certain strike zones uh, fairly quickly. I just you get umpires who the team likes and umpires who the team does not like as much. <laughs> and so they'll just start off a game and you'll just see that the pitching coach is already in a bad mood. So we'll see. The other thing I think to keep an eye on is in 2019, we saw so many transactions. And I talked to the people who were with the Oakland Athletics farm teams, and they said there were transactions every single day, players moving up and down. With the Lugnuts and the Blue Jays, players moving up and down every single day. I've been told by the Athletics that with the protocols health-wise, that they do not want to move players. So I think that we are going to see a lot of stability with the players on our roster. We have a larger roster, 30 players rather than 25. Let's say a pitcher gets hurt, a couple of pitchers get hurt. I don't think we're going to see new guys flying into town. I think we are going to see by and large, our roster is what our roster is. And if a move is made, it's not a short-term move. Now, I'm gonna shift into a little bit of the fun questions here. What, all right. This so, has all been fun. <laughs> well, uh, for you, so you have had, you've been here since 2009. You've seen a lot of different changes in our iterations of the team. You've been all around minor league baseball, uh, an extensive amount of traveling. So what would you say is then your second favorite ballpark? Because obviously this is number one. And then what is your favorite ballpark food you have ever tried anywhere? Because some places, they get a little wild. Fort Wayne is my favorite ballpark. I think it's a gem. I think Parkview Field is wonderful. And then my favorite ballpark food is a tie. I love Ben Soft Pretzel in South Bend, Indiana, because I'm a soft pretzel guy, and it's homemade there right in front of you, and it's so good. It's just, it's so good. And I love the apple dumpling a la mode in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Vanilla ice cream with this baked apple, and it's it's so beautiful. So those are my two favorites. Okay, well, I have not eaten lunch yet, so this is definitely getting me in the mood for imagine it. Imagine that smell of that soft pretzel. Just imagine that amazing smell coming out of the bakery. Mm, yep, and well, there, there's the unlimited meal plans here too, so that those have been interesting to look at. Uh, for if you want to get a season uh, ticket package or a limited series. Uh, so that has been an interesting development as well. So then we've talked about the food, we've talked about the parks. Now, what are some of the players over the years as you've been um, been a broadcaster? What are some of the favorite players you've seen come through and some of the, the names you've been fortunate to call in your experience? I saw Noah Syndergaard in 2012 as part of an incredible starting rotation with Anthony DiSclafani and Aaron Sanchez and Justin Nicolino and Carlos Perez is the catcher. Perez now with the Oakland organization and Kevin Pillar patrolling center field, John Birdie playing all over the diamond. 2012 was special. And then in 2015, I think the top five, six players in the starting lineup have all made the major leagues. And Tim LaCastro is now the fastest player in baseball for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's been fun to watch these guys rise up. 2017 with Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was really special to see two talents like that. And then we would play Fort Wayne and Fort Wayne would throw Fernando Tatis Jr. against Bo and Vladdy. Oh yeah, that's good baseball right there. And then in 2019, the combination of Alejandro Kirk and Jordan Groshans hitting three, four in the order was wonderful to watch. To be able to see you name the tool, 
and I have seen that tool at the highest quality. It's been memorable. Now, what would you say is your favorite baseball memory? Do you have a specific moment or uh, when I first say that, what comes to mind is the, the biggest highlight, maybe from childhood or professionally or somewhere in between? My favorite baseball memory, considering every baseball game I've ever seen, was 21-31 for Cal Ripken Jr. When I'm sitting at home with my mother and watching, watching uh, him pass Lou Gehrig, we video recorded that VHS. And I can still go back and watch that tape. And it still means so much to me that a guy was celebrated like that for an entire city and an entire league and the entire country. You didn't have to be a baseball fan to understand. He had showed up and played in every single game for over 2,100 games, 2131 then, ended at 2632. That moment just gets me more than any home run, more than any perfect game. Cal Ripken Jr. eclipsing Lou Gehrig. And then with the Lansing Lugnuts in 2011, it was game two of the first round of the playoffs. We had lost game one. So if we lost game two, we would be eliminated against the dominant Dayton Dragons, who took a one run lead to the bottom of the ninth and a one hitter. And there had been a rain delay earlier in the game. We got our second hit of the game, put the tying run on, two outs against the unhittable Dayton closer. Our number eight hitter came up, had a high fly ball to left field. Their left fielder stood five feet, eight inches tall, went back to the wall, jumped up as high as he could, and he could get up. And that ball skimmed over his glove. He fell into this enormous puddle on the warning track, and the ball got out of there for a walk-off two-run homer. We then won the next day and eliminated the dominant Dragons from the postseason, one of the greatest minor league teams I've ever seen, and we knocked them out in stunning fashion. That's my favorite Lansing Lugnuts men uh, memory. So we covered the memories, we've covered the players, we've covered the food. The thing that comes after food is the love of the game. So what you talked about, this beautiful memory of watching baseball with your mother and recording it on VHS, which for, for those kids of you out there who don't know what that is, uh, it is like a SD card that is so much more flammable and more frustrating met with masking tape that you would record games and hopefully it would not be uh, destroyed by something with teeth that would eat it up. And I, I have uh, now a very vivid memory of borrowing a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the cartoon from the library, and uh, that was eaten by the tape. Uh, oh, no. A, a player. And so then you have to replace it. So that is not an issue we face anymore with uh, Netflix. But that's just a random memory that brought me back for this. Uh, baseball for me, my love from it, I really remember when the Tigers made that run uh, in the mid-2000s. And it was absolutely magical. And then the hope you had the build of with possibly one of the greatest bullpens ever in existence that's going to be Hall of Fame just they went on to reach their success post Tigers at the highest levels is very unique. And then combine that with my time with what was the Midwest League and the loons and the long nights at the ballpark and the camaraderie and the fun and just the environment. That's that was a unique extension of formative from childhood to then a young adult. And it just all melded together for you. What really created this passion for the game? I think it started with my father raising us uh, as baseball fans, bringing my family to the ballpark. 
I remember driving him driving me to Memorial Stadium to see an Orioles game in 1989, one of my earliest memories of going to a Major League Baseball game. And then going to minor league baseball games so many times throughout the course of the summer to the Bowie Bay Sox, playing baseball, t-ball, um, Little League, and then reading every single book that I could find on baseball. There are certain books that I read and read and read and read until they turned ragged. Uh, the biography of Willie Mays. I could tell you every th single thing about Willie Mays that was in that biography. The biography of Henry Aaron, the greatest World Series games ever, the Baseball Hall of Shame. So yes, it was the combination of going to games and watching it. It was the combination of watching the games on TV, listening to them on the radio, reading them in books, and playing myself that strengthened the love of baseball. Now, part of baseball lore and history is you have these iconic voices, uh, you know, Vince Scully, and just name after name of just these iconic voices through the years that have helped set the stage and are now echoed into your minds and your thoughts when you recall back to that were there any broadcasters and announcers that uh, really struck out to you that uh, you were growing up that were your favorite and then now are there broadcasters out there that you very much admire uh, that uh, you have either worked with and grown or have learned from and observed john miller as a kid i think john miller is just the greatest listening to him call Baltimore Orioles games. And now currently Dan Schulman in Toronto. What I appreciate about both of them, a strength that they both possess, is they have pure mastery over the vocal instrument that I can't even imagine. I look at that and I go, I wish that I had the mastery of voice that they do, that they know how to go low, how to go high, how to go fast, slow, how to punch, how to be funny, how to be somber. It is so admirable that they can inject humor, they can inject observation, and they can inject wisdom into the course of nine innings. And they can do so, Dan Schulman does so, without even talking that much. Brevity, saying so much in few words, being able to work with his partner and draw more out of the game that helps you learn. So yes, I hold... John Miller and Dan Schulman in the highest esteem. Well, I think we've covered it from the outfield to up in the upper deck and beyond. We've covered the players. We've covered the food. I keep saying the food. I think I know what I'm thinking about right now. Uh, and then the development and the love of the game. What else should Lugnuts fans know before they get here for opening day? I think as long as they are aware of our COVID policies, which are on our website, go to lansinglugnuts.com. I think come welcome back baseball because the great thing about baseball is that the games are played on the greatest days of the year. That if the day looks terrible, right? If it's terrible rain, we all say, oh, well, we'll just come back tomorrow. There's, there's no better days over the course of the year than the days that have baseball games. And I'm so glad that it's back. Well, Jesse, I want to thank you so much for carving out this time, for setting up this space, for uh, being patient with me as I set up multiple cameras and microphones and everything in between. I can't wait to be here tomorrow. I can't wait for first pitch. I can't wait for the roar of the crowd to be back. Thank you so much for welcoming me in and go Lug Nuts. John, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, Let's go nuts.